I don't wanna be just someone that's new. I speak my mind so free, so you could hear the truth. Yeah, no. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. This is The Truth For Youth with Micah Murphy, the podcast that is dedicated to presenting the truth, the truth of the Bible, the truth from God, the truth that Jesus, the Messiah, has given us. Look, in a world where it's really hard to know what truth is, man, we are constantly being told information, which a lot turns out to be half-truths or even lies or deception. Uh, it's, it's frustrating, right? So look, this podcast is geared for truth, okay? That's what we want to present here is truth. Of course, I'll give some opinions from time to time, but I will make that known. But this is truth. Okay, so we started a series a couple weeks ago on cults and world religions. And I wanted to hit the uh, the largest world religions. And again, some people will say, oh, well, maybe it's not a religion, it's a philosophy. Well, again, I'm categorizing these as religions just because they're dealing with a worldview in the sense of where did man come from or what is man's purpose and afterlife and is there a a greater being, whether that be a God or universe or something. So I'm kind of categorizing, categorizing all that into religions. So today we're going to talk about Buddhism. Um, Buddhism really is very, very similar to Hinduism, which we talked about last week. So if you haven't listened to the last podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to that um, because Buddhism is going to be very similar and I believe it actually branches from Hinduism. Um, But once again, we are in a world religion where the history is not real clear cut. There's different debates as to how it started, when it started, who started it, and around the origins, okay? So it's kind of very similar to Hinduism. So again, we'll, we'll talk about kind of what most people, at least, or most scholars and practicers of Buddhism kind of grant as far as the history and where it started and the origins. But again, Here's my disclaimer. I'm not an expert, okay? Uh, This is just kind of the highlights and the summary of the religions. We, uh, if you study religion, you know, or even practice a religion like Christianity, it can't just be summed up in 30 minutes. Religions are complicated. There's a lot to them. Uh, There's a lot to understand. So we are just hitting really the highlights. This is more of just an introduction to the religion and the key points, at least that I think are the key points for understanding the religion. You know, what are their core beliefs? And again, some of the things that I'm, I'm really focused on when I'm looking at a religion is what do they believe is the higher power, the force that be, uh, whether that be God, universe, and then, you know, what are their key beliefs with this religion or philosophy, belief system, whatever you want to call it, and then obviously afterlife. I think that's a huge one. You know, what happens when we die? Because we know we're going to die. That's a given. So what happens when we die? Is there afterlife? I think that's a big question because I think that gives purpose back to why we're even alive to begin with. So let's get into it. All right. This religion, uh, it can be traced back to India, 
okay, just like Hinduism was, you know, created or developed, founded, however you want to word that, in India, so was Buddhism. The dates are, you know, a little suspect, but some will say around that 500 to 400 BC, once again, a very old religion. Uh, the founder is they credit to a man named Siddhartha Gautama, okay, and apparently he lived around the 563-483 BC time period. And from what we know about him, apparently he grew up in a very wealthy Hindu family and in a very wealthy home. Um, but at some point he came in contact with suffering. I think it was maybe he came across a sick individual and perhaps even a dead individual and even just kind of looking at animals and maybe even insects and rodents and bugs, whatever, and, and just kind of started really thinking about this concept of death and of suffering. And again, if you go back to Hinduism, what did they believe? They believed that there's karma, right? There's this force of you do good, good things happen to you. You do bad, bad things happen to you, right? A lot of times what Christians call you reap what you sow. So again, big into karma. So that's part of, of life. Like, are you doing good things? Or are you doing bad things? And that's kind of the result of life and all this suffering. And then also this belief in rebirth, or it's kind of like reincarnation, right? Where you're going from one life to the next once you pass away. We'll talk more specific about the rebirth uh, in inside Buddhism, um, Buddhism. But for now, let's just kind of get a basis of this is what this young man was kind of contemplating. And he's like struggling with this idea of just, again, suffering and seeing this cycle of this rebirth and suffering happening over and over again. And he wanted to figure out how do we end this and how to do away with the suffering. So, uh, you know, I guess the story kind of goes is that, you know, he maybe gets under a fig tree and begins to kind of contemplate and think and uh, uh, figure out, you know, where is the suffering come, come from and, and life again and all this cycle, okay? So as he's seeking this out, he becomes enlightened. Um, and that's kind of where Buddha comes from. It means the enlightened one. Uh, like a teacher, spiritual teacher. So he becomes enlightened as he's contemplating under this fig tree. And he figures out that, you know, from, from karma and from even his former lives, I guess, he's figured out how to end suffering and how to end this rebirth process of constantly, you know, basically being reincarnated over and over. Because, because again, let's go back to Hinduism. Like they believe that you're being reincarnated or rebirth over and over and over until you basically continue to do do better and better and you figure out how to completely become enlightened or understand uh, who you are in the universe where you eventually dissolve into the universe you dissolve into brahma uh, or brahman so that's what again hindu believes so if you look at this is kind of probably his foundation of what he's thinking Again, this is my interpretation of, of kind of how he's developing this. He's thinking, okay, well, how do we get out of this cycle? How do we, you know, get rid of this suffering? And he begins to realize that there's, 
there's certain things that lead to the suffering. And I will say that I, I agree with a lot of, it, of this philosophy as far as maybe some of the sufferings and the things that we go through on this earth and some of the suggestions that he has and that this religion or philosophy has, I think are, are pretty good points as to a way of living. So let's get into some of the main points, the main keys, and we're going to kind of walk through this. So again, a lot of people are going to say it's not a religion, it's a philosophy, it's really more of a way of life, okay, if they want to say that, but ultimately we're, we're going to categorize it as a religion, all right? So he taught in order to free yourself, okay, this is what he figured out, if, if you're going to free yourself from suffering on this earth, you have to eliminate ignorance and you have to eliminate cravings, and this is accomplished by understanding um, these four noble truths that we're going to talk about. All right, so again, going back to some basics, there is no God for them. They don't believe in a God, a creator, a universe, uh, or that created the universe. It's more of a kind of a force, I guess, and they don't believe in this eternal soul that every individual has. Um, the rebirth is actually more of your consciousness. So your awareness is kind of what's going from, from one life to the next. All right, so again, they do believe in karma. They do believe in rebirth. Um, but their rebirth is different from Hindu. And, well, for one, they kind of, they're not all in agreement in, in Buddhism. They, some of them hold to a truth where, okay, well, as soon as you die, you immediately go to another life, whether that be, a human, whether that be an animal, some will even say you can be a ghost or like a demigod. I mean, there's there's other types of beings, I guess, that they can go into, uh, their consciousness, I guess, can go into and have a rebirth and have a new life once they die here. Um, but again, some say it happens immediately. Some will say, no, there's a waiting period. There's a holding period. And it, you know, that holding period is maybe not known. You may have to wait years before you get a rebirth. So not all Buddhists are in agreement as to this rebirth. And it's kind of, again, it's a little all over the place, but they essentially do believe in the rebirth. Um, let's go over the four central truths or the noble truths that they call them. Okay, number one. All existence is suffering. Suffering is a major concept in this religion. They, they realize earth and life has a lot of suffering in it, and their main goal is to figure out how to avoid it and how to eliminate it. So that's the really, to me, that's the main concept is this, this idea of suffering. So they believe all existence is suffering. B, the second one, okay, that's the first one. The second one, or letter B if we're going A, B, C, D, is the cause of suffering is cravings, it's desires, it's clinging to this world. Now, I do kind of agree with this to some extent. I do think that we bring upon ourselves a lot of suffering because of attachments that we have to this world, whether that be in a loved one and, you know, a loved one gets sick or dies, then, then yeah, that causes some suffering or some pain. It may be uh, attachment to an item. You know, you can think of your favorite 
item that you own, belonging, whether that be your car, video game, you know, whatever it is. And if that breaks or gets destroyed or stolen, obviously that causes pain. So I get it. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, that yes, suffering a lot of times comes from ourselves because we are craving something or desiring something and we get upset because maybe we don't get it or it's taken away from us. Although, again, I think there's other suffering, right? There's, there's physical suffering, and I don't think that's because we're craving or desiring things. But that, that's, my, that's my opinion. Okay, go back to the truth. All right, the third truth. The cure for these sufferings is to eliminate the cravings and the desires and the clinging. So if you can eliminate all attachment to anything in this world, you essentially eliminate suffering. Sounds like a fun life, huh? Um, all right, four, the way to end the cravings, because it's one thing to say, oh, well, you just you end the cravings. Okay, well, it's not like you just flip a switch, right? Like, it, that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. So that leads us, again, to the fourth point. If you're going to eliminate it, you do this through what they call the Noble Eightfold Path. So we're going to look at eight things that will lead you to be able to separate from your clinging, from your desires, from your longings of things of this world. Now, this eightfold path is not a step, a stepping stone where you go from one to the next to the next, okay? They don't build on each other. It is just eight different ones that are all kind of intertwined. Uh, you may get one, then later you get the other. A couple may come to you at the same time, and you may be working on them. But ultimately, if you can get all of eight of these and practice all eight of these, then eventually you will become detached from the suffering, from the desires, from the longing, and you reach this state of nirvana, which that is the ultimate goal with a Buddhist, is to reach nirvana. All right, so the first one in this Eightfold Path is to have the right views. Okay, so view reality as it is, not just as it appears to be which I like that point, especially with what happened in 2020. We're told all sorts of stuff by our media and government and businesses as to what the world is like and what's happening. But that's the way it appears to be. And in reality, it's actually different. So I I like that concept for hey, view reality the way it really is, not the way someone's telling you it is or not the way it just appears to be. All right, so that's, that's the point one. All right, two, have the right intention. So you have right views and you also want to have right intention. Again, I definitely agree with this. Have good intentions. All right, if you have the intention of freedom and of harmlessness and you're, you're doing things not out of greed and not out of anger, but you're doing it because maybe you, you have love and you have compassion, then those are obviously having the right intentions. Again, there's a lot of people in this world that have bad intentions. They do things out of selfish ambition or out of greed or out of envy or just spite. Um, so, by eliminating those, you're actually helping yourself. Again, I, I like that point. Uh, by doing this, you're helping remove suffering from your life when you're 
doing things out of greed and anger and jealousy, you're just going to cause yourself more suffering. All right, so that's right intention. A third one, right speech. Speaking truth. Hmm, truth for you. Speaking truthful, non-harmful things to people. Okay, you're not deceiving people, you're not lying to people, you're not trying to hurt people, you're not using foul language, you're not gossiping. All those things ultimately lead to suffering. Look, I, I like this point as well. I think these all, you know, these are lining up with Christian values as well. You know, speaking love, speaking truth, speaking compassion, and not gossiping and lying and cheating and trying to harm others. Um, all right, so that's right speech. The fourth one is right behavior, how you behave, doing things in a non-harmful manner. You're always striving to do good actions. You know, you don't want to hurt others and do, you know, bad deeds. Now, right behavior, they break these down into a little bit more specific categories. We'll look at those. They call them the five precepts. And this is really kind of like the Christian's uh, Ten Commandments, you know, from the Old Testament, although there's only five, but it's, it's very similar to what Christianity's Ten Commandments are like. So, the first precept, don't harm living creatures. <laughs> uh, don't harm living creatures, all right? Two, don't steal, all right? Don't take something that doesn't belong to you. The third one, don't engage in sexual misconduct, the fourth one, don't lie or harm people with your words. And then the fifth one, do not use intoxicating substances. So that's their five precepts to living with right behavior. So that's kind of their five, five big uh, keys to having right behavior. All right, so their fifth one, uh, going back to the eightfold, truths and paths that they have. The fifth one is right occupation. Don't do something that's harmful for a living. Don't do something that's evil for a living. Don't do something that's, you know, morally questionable for a living. In other words, you wouldn't want to be a drug dealer. You wouldn't want to be a stripper. You know, you're not going to be uh, sex trafficking or slave driving or anything, right? Nothing that's questionable, okay? Earn a living with a respectable job or career. Something that's not compromising these, these uh, morals that the Buddhists have and you're able to live with you know, right speech and right actions. All right, the sixth one is right effort. Making an effort to improve. Again, I like this. You know, not, not just going through life with a negative attitude and this attitude of complacency. No, you're, you're supposed to have a positive attitude and you're striving to get better. You're striving to improve. Hey, I like that. All right, seven, right contemplation or mindfulness. And this just basically means you're, you're aware of what's going on. You have a clear consciousness. Uh, you're aware of the present reality. You're not hung up with things that are about to happen in the future or worrying about things that are coming down the, down the pipeline. And you're not also living in the past. You know, you're not daydreaming about the good old days. It's 
being completely aware of the present so that your full mind is in the present so that you can truly have a better grasp of reality. Again, going back to that concept of knowing what reality really is, not just what it appears to be. Well, this is one way that helps with that. Obviously, if you're, if you're totally focused on the present, then you're probably uh, understanding it a whole lot better. And then the eighth one in this eightfold path is right meditation. Correct meditation or concentration, the ability to focus. Focus on a single object or a single mission or a single task, a single person. Whatever is at hand, you're able to focus everything to that one specific item, object, goal. Okay, so it's, it's that right meditation, it's that right concentration. By doing this, again, you're able to see things the way they really are. That kind of makes sense versus if you're scatterbrained and you're, you're multitasking and you're trying to do a million different things, you're probably not really getting everything that you need. Believe me, when my wife talks to me and I'm doing something else, She's not getting my full attention, and it shows, right? So I usually tell her, hey, look, you're going to have to give me a timeout, right? Tell me to focus if I really need to hear something because, you know, a lot of times I'm already doing something. So that makes sense, right? So if you're able to focus with the right meditation and concentration, you're probably getting a better idea of what reality is with that particular situation. All right, so they believe, again, by, by practicing these eightfold, and again, they're all kind of intertwined. It's not a stair step. You're able to reach nirvana. Now, nirvana is, again, that's where you're, you're, you kind of understand everything. You've been able to eliminate the cravings and eliminate the suffering, and you're able to just dissolve and be absorbed into the universe. You're no longer doing the rebirth. You finally have reached the peak state of nirvana, and you've rid yourself of all desire and all wants. And now you're one with the universe. Although I do think they say that once you reach this, that you can choose maybe not to be absorbed into the universe and that you basically can stay as a teacher, kind of be a Buddha, I guess, so I don't know if that's your choice or it's, you're kind of selected that way, but that is basically the goal, right? Nirvana, ridding yourself of, of all, desi- all desires, all wants. Now, there are two big branches, I guess, of Buddhist, and we're going to look at just real briefly. We'll, we'll kind of talk about those. There is a Theravada, and there is a... Uh, and, that, and that's kind of the older, more traditional um, style. That's probably the ones when, you're, when you see monks that are really dedicated to the meditation and that way of life. More than likely, this is the branch that they are, the Theravada. Uh, they are really focused on that meditation, right? And that's the route to nirvana for them. It's kind of that monk style life. And now there's also a second branch that's really more of a younger, more acceptable version. And it's probably what the majority, I would think, of of modern-day Buddhists are. And that is Mahayana. Now, Mahayana, again, it's a little bit looser, I guess. You don't have to be a monk. Um, You know, it's not quite as strict, I guess. 
but they, uh, anyways, that's, that's the two main branches. Now, Buddhists, they are, they're growing, (laughs) they're a major, major world religion. There's like 500 million Buddhists in the world. That's like 7% of our world population. Now, 98% of that is over in the Asia Pacific region, so it's not as common in the United States and, and over on this part of the world, but there are still lots around here. So it's approximately the fifth largest um, in the United States. There, there's approximately 2 million that's estimated in the U.S. So this is, again, this is the highlights of, of Buddhism, Obviously, it's a, it's a religion. It's a way of life. It's a philosophy. So it's pretty in-depth. But again, I just wanted to hit the highlights. I want to talk about those main points. Again, for them, life is suffering. Existence is suffering. Uh, life doesn't really have this purpose and this meaning. There's not this higher power. There's not this God that is created. It's just this constant cycle of suffering and rebirth, and you're trying to rid yourself of desires and wants. And honestly, that doesn't sound like a fun way to live. I mean, again, I like some of the concepts. I like some of the philosophies. I think, you know, if you live a Buddhist lifestyle, you're living a very moral life. I mean, you're living probably very, you know, very good life, if you want to use the word good. But it takes away a lot of the purpose and the meaning, I feel like, with uh, existence. If all you're trying to do is, is rid yourself of suffering and be absorbed into the universe, then, you know, that's, that doesn't sound very appealing. And again, like I said, I, I do think a lot of suffering is tied to our desires and our wants and, and, and for things. And look, I, I totally agree with we shouldn't want and desire some of the things that we do want and desire. And I do think that gets us in trouble a lot of times. But on the flip side, I think there are things in life that are good to want. I think it's good to want love and to love others, to desire uh, to be married, to desire to be, you know, a parent, to desire, you know, to help others and to serve others and to, you know, have this joy and this fulfillment. I think all those are fine. So to rid yourself of all that, I think that's that's difficult. You know, I don't, I, I personally wouldn't want to live that way. And also detaching yourself so much from, again, like your kids, your your spouse, your family, to the point where you're not attached to them, so you don't care when if they die and when they die or they're sick or hurt or injured because you don't want to suffer, so you detach so much that, you know, that just, I don't, that doesn't line up with um, my spirit, you know, my, my belief system. And again, that's, that's my opinion. I'm presenting the facts of what, um, you, you know, what this religion says, what the belief systems are, and how that lines up with Christianity. So, guys, again, that's it. I hope that least makes things that may be a little bit more understandable for you. Obviously, any of these religions, if you're interested in learning more, go do your research. You know, go, go find out. Go maybe talk to people. But uh, at least that kind of gets you started in the right direction. And people, we really do appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I hope you're getting value from these podcasts. If you are, I'm going to ask every time, share it. 
Give me a rating on iTunes if you would, if you're finding value, because I greatly appreciate that, and that helps this podcast to grow. All right, guys, I love you, and I will see you guys in the next podcast. Hope you have a blessed week. Bye-bye. I don't want to be just someone that's new. I speak my mind so free so you could hear the truth. Yeah, no.